0: Welcome to Lives, a show exploring our experiences in the world and how we might live well. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and my guest today is Hayley Haas, co-founder of Anastasis Theatre Company. In today's show, award-winning actor Haas talks about a life on stage and behind the scenes, She shares her passion for performing and bringing those opportunities to others, especially for marginalized voices. Haas also talks about the Anastasis Theatre Company's belief that the theatre helps us to really see ourselves and each other, and that art has the power to impact social change.
1: Some people dream about Broadway or movies, and that was never where I wanted to use my skills. I love all the folks who do that work, and I know some of them now. But I always had more in mind, how do I use these theatre skills to build community? That was always more the direction that I saw myself going.
0: Haley Haas is the artistic director and co-founder of Anastasis Theatre Company. Haas recently directed the tour of the Anastasis play, More Than a Number?, as well as the original production of the play inside the Nebraska State Penitentiary. She has also directed the Anastasis plays Stories on the Brink and Voices Unbound. Haas has worked as a teaching artist and facilitator with numerous local organisations and for 15 years as an actor and the training and education director for Respect, a touring educational theatre company. As an award-winning actor, Favourite roles in some regional shows at the Blue Barn Theatre include Henrietta in Silent Sky, Irene in The Dresser, and Virginia in Red Summer, and an ensemble role in The Blues of Knowing Why at the Union for Contemporary Art. Haas holds a BFA in theatre performance from Creighton University and trained with the groundbreaking community-engaged theatre company Cornerstone, based in Los Angeles, California. Heli Haas, welcome to Live's. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so intriguing to me that you spent so much of your life just completely vested in and dedicated to what you love, uh, which is the stage, acting, performing. What is it that you love about acting?
1: You know, there's a lot of things that I absolutely love about acting. I think I love the community that is built when you're in a play. I also love that... Um, I get to help tell stories. I get to kind of slip into different roles and try out uh, ways of being that are far from who I really am, which can actually really help you to understand yourself better. And really how I got started in theater, I had taken dance for many years and then when I was 12, I auditioned for a big role in in a production at uh, Lewis and Clark Theater Company in my little town of Yankton, South Dakota. And actually we had a really thriving theater uh, and really arts community because there had been a, a wonderful college, Yankton College, where a lot of liberal arts people studied. It closed, became a federal prison But many of the professors and people who studied their state and really created a, a, a wonderfully artistic community. And so I auditioned for this play at 12, but I was severely dyslexic. So cold reads were nearly impossible. So the director saw me struggle through this cold read, and I was terrible, absolutely terrible. And he said, let me give you the script, go home, practice, and come back tomorrow. So we went home. My dad read me the entire script out loud. And one of my ways of overcoming, or one of my gifts from my dyslexia, is a really uh, close to photographic memory for um, things I hear. So we went through it a couple times, and I memorized all the lines of the character. So I came in the next day and was able to really fully express the lines, do it off book. And he just looked at me and said, well, you already know all the lines, so I think you have the part. And that really started my love. He was a wonderful director. It was a really great production of The Loud Red Patrick. So it was a bunch of, it was about a bunch of sisters and, and their dad. And so I, I met some mentors through that process and just fell in love with the magic of theater and really from that point on uh, never stopped being in production. (laughs) Uh, I was always either doing a play at school or through the local community theater and then riding up through college and my career, just uh, have always uh, been drawn to
0: acting. I'm somewhat struck by the idea that you have dyslexia. Um, and I don't know, is that something that persists through throughout life or is it something that you... Oh, uh, yeah. This, okay. um, I
1: mean, I have a better ability to read now than I did when I was a kid. And really, it was a, a funny way that my brain finally uh, kind of clicked into reading. I came to Creighton and I think when I graduated high school, I was at the top of my class, but probably read at a fifth grade level on my own without... Adaptive technology, and and at that time it was brand new. I could scan books, and then the the text would come up on the screen, and there was a voice that would read it aloud to me. And as the voice read it, it lit up each word. So I would watch and hear at the same time, and that made some of the internal brain connections that I was never able to make. So my reading improved vastly while I was at Creighton, but it is still uh, something that. Is a big piece of my life and that I work to overcome. And I think it's one of the reasons I chose going into theater is because a lot of the work I do doesn't require a ton of uh, reading.
0: It it just occurs to me that being a kid is tough anyway. I mean, so exciting, so joyful, so many things that you're learning and experiencing about yourself, about the world. But then to intentionally and, and willfully and joyfully jump into acting mm-hmm. when you know that this is a challenge. And I, I wondered, to me it feels like an act of some ways, an act of courage, an act of vulnerability. And I'm curious if you knew that at the time or if performing just in some way despite or perhaps because of dyslexia. I think it's
1: more because of. I think I had a natural ability to really listen. And listening and responding is really how the best acting and connection happens on stage. So, so much of that came naturally to me. And I'm very curious. And I think, again, that's part of my dyslexic brain is I'm always looking for ways to connect story. And those things came naturally to me. So those skills just translated into theater so perfectly and beautifully. And I I kept up with dance until I was about 21 as well. And I think that also was a, a great way for me to express myself outside of the written word.
0: I'm glad you said that because it suggests the many ways that acting demands both a physical as well as a, a an emotional performance response to the needs of the play, the character, the, the, the audience, just doing the work. But that's me assuming that I'm not an actor what are the kinds of physical demands that perhaps something that is really you know embodied like dancing what other's physical uh, the, the dancing can can bring out but but what are these physical demands of acting contrasted perhaps with those more internal emotional psychological demands of acting
1: yeah i think it is kind of a two-sided coin if you aren't in touch with your body and you know, how you create visual uh, elements on stage, how you relate to others on stage, you will be very limited. So you have to be kind of hyper aware of your surroundings and have kind of an outside view of yourself. That, uh, that I think dance was a big help in, in, in helping me to understand how my body works, what it looks like. And, and how you can change those things. I love people watching. Um, my husband makes fun of me. He's like, I could never get away with that. It would look creepy if I was, you know, in public places just enjoying watching other people. But that's, to me, wonderful. It makes me think of all the stories. What, who is this person? How do they live? And also I study, how do they move? Because a different character may move completely different than I do. And I know my work at the Blue Barn especially brought that to life. I played some characters that moved very differently than me. Um, at least that was the choice I made for the character. And that was hard work. And sometimes, actually, uh, when you hold yourself differently, can you have to really stretch and prepare. Uh, the emotional side of acting also, I think, kind of came naturally to me. I... Um, I've always been super empathetic person. My emotions come out. Uh, I've never had a problem expressing them. I think that's part of just growing up in my household where that was accepted and encouraged. So it's I think an outgrowth of that. But then of course, through education, you know, uh, my, my college degree, you know, you work more in depth on finding those places in yourself to mine for characters.
0: So before we jump forward then to how you developed your craft, because you, as you just mentioned, you went to Creighton to study and then you went further beyond that to continue those studies and develop this, this ability. This early time when you were young and venturing, as it were, into theatre, onto the stage... And What was the family context around you at that time? Did you come from a family of performers or theater goers or well, definitely artists? Definitely
1: theater goers but not artists. Well I guess my dad in his way is an artist. He's a floral designer and my parents owned a flower shop in our small town and so there was creativity Around, um, but they always supported my interests in the arts. In fact, my dad learned how to be a lighting designer so that he could be there all the time at, at my shows. Um, and my mom was a politician alongside running a, a really successful business. She was the first woman to be elected onto our county commission in our county, and she went on to become the state Democratic Party chair for our state and then was appointed by uh, the Clinton administration as the regional administrator for the Small Business Administration. So when I was in high school, she moved to Denver and commuted back on weekends uh, and kind of worked in the political sphere. And her side of the family is um, very politically involved, especially in social justice. So I think that's where my lens and my my passion for community building and social justice issues was kind of born out of uh, just being involved in politics from, I mean, I remember sitting at, at those offices and those meetings as a two-year-old, like some of my earliest memories are being at campaign events. I had an aunt who ran for Congress and it was just a, a part of my everyday life.
0: <laughs> it's just going to be wondering the distinction between um, politics and acting performance. Are they that different? I don't know.
1: Uh, I think there are similarities. And even up to the time I graduated from Creighton, I was still kind of weighing my options because it was especially women in my family who were community leaders and elected officials. So I was offered a job to run the, the Democratic office in Council Bluffs in 2004. Um, which, looking back, I I was not qualified for. (laughs) Um, But probably could have figured it out. And I also was working for Respect by that time. Um, I started while I was still in school. So I was at a crossroads and I I chose theater and I'm really glad I did. That year, um, pretty much every candidate I would have been helping was just slaughtered. (laughs) So it would have been a pretty demoralizing start to a career. Um, But I'm very grateful for people who do serve. Um, I think you need to have a calling to do that work. But yeah, my calling was really in theater.
0: So I I love that you audio, are using that language of calling to theater. I mean, I treasure those people that as teenagers are able to say, oh, this this is, this is a pathway I want to pursue academically for specific reasons. Um, and obviously, I'm confessing here that mine feels more like a, a wasted journey into I didn't know what I was doing. Um, so you pursued academic studies in acting and you chose to go to Creighton. And I'm just curious about, did you really feel called into studying acting? W- were you responding to a sense of something deep within you that this could be something you could do and you should do, and, and why Creighton in particular?
1: Yeah, I think I knew from 12 or 13 that absolutely that it was where I would study. But I always had this idea that it wasn't, You know, some people dream about Broadway or movies, and that was never where I wanted to use my skills. It's an awesome place to be, and I, I love all the folks who do that work, and I know some of them now but I always had more in mind, how do I use these theater skills to build community, to educate? That was always more the direction that I saw myself going. I chose Creighton after really looking at a lot of schools, everything from conservatories to to different methodologies to big schools that have great uh, programs. What I found in Creighton was it was a small department. I knew that I would get the kind of individual attention that I want and stage time. A lot of programs, you're lucky if by your junior or senior year you get a show where you get to be highlighted. Um, And they're great programs, and I'm sure you can learn a lot, but I was like, I want to be on stage. And also, moving to Omaha meant the possibility of working in all kinds of different theaters that I had as a kid, we would make trips to Omaha to come see plays here. And so that was a piece of it. And my best friend from high school and growing up was a costume designer and he also came with me. So we kind of came as a pair to Creighton. And um, yeah, so that's that's why I chose Creighton.
0: What were some of those performances that uh, as a teenager were you were coming to see in Omaha but generally that were captivating you?
1: Um, What did we see? And I've got to go way back. I know I saw Into the Woods at the Playhouse. I saw Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream Coat. We came and we saw um, you know a couple things at the Orpheum and uh and I read about the Blue Barn, but I had never seen a play there until I moved here. So it was just this place where really high quality theater was happening and I wanted to be
0: a part of it. I'm curious about what it is that you learned about the, the craft of acting. How did your appreciation for what it was to be an actor and what was required, how, how did that change?
1: Well, I think at Creighton, I had the time to learn the history of theater, which is so rich and diverse. And so that really deepened my understanding of how theater can be used, because it really has been used in so many ways throughout history. I think the modern world has a very limited view of how theater can be used. And it's opening back up now. I see a a, a lot of people doing exciting new kinds of ways to engage community with theater, but, uh, but that was a, a fun part of the education. Um, really analyzing scripts and understanding how to, how to break them down and study them was a, a huge uh, piece of the puzzle for me. And just learning about the other aspects of theater. I think anybody who's performing on the stage should know what it takes to do all the jobs. And they do a pretty good job at Creighton, at least when I was there, of making sure that you take classes in or participate in every kind. You know, work in the costume shop, uh, be a backstage hand, help build a set, learn how to do all the pieces. And even if that's not the direction you're going to go professionally, you have an understanding because it's a team effort. There is no or very little theater that can be made solo. It's almost always a collaboration. So really learning in depth how to collaborate and and how to find partners that you really connect with. I mean, there are people from Creighton that I have worked with really since I graduated, Denise Chapman of the union, Nick Sedina and I toured together for years and uh, still work together. No matter where he jumps to new jobs, he always brings me in in some capacity as an actor.
0: I will ask you about Respect in a minute, which is an organization that you just mentioned that that you were working with and and did work with for quite a long period of time. But uh, full confession, I have in a Previous life worked at an organization that was collaborating with Respect. I remember that. (laughs) Well, and so I got to see you demonstrate some of the work that Respect does. And I have honestly never in my life encountered watching someone, a human being in front of me, transform so completely and so rapidly into a completely different human being. And that's exactly what you did. One minute you were sharing something about this organization and then you demonstrated the kinds of performative aspects of the work that Respect does and you assumed this character and and performed for a few minutes. Honestly, I can't quite remember exactly what it was that you did perform. I'm just left entirely with this memory of this sudden and profound conversion of you into a different person. All of this is a way to say it seems quite a stunning feat of performance and I'm wondering how do you go about the process of attuning yourself as an individual human being into the capacity to be and so fully occupy a different character, a different person entirely?
1: You know, when you have the luxury, it's wonderful to have a couple hours to get into costume, makeup. I often listen to music that relates to me in some way to the character, uh, walk the stage, say some of the words. You know, that's in the ideal uh, way of making theater. Well, not ideal. It's one way of making theater. Respect was and still is, I'm sure, one of the best acting boot camps out there because we had like 12 different scripts. We perform at the drop of a hat. you're in you know you're not in traditional theater spaces 95 percent of the time you're in a gym or a community center or um, a restaurant. I mean we performed every place you can imagine and you have no backstage. So you train yourself to be able to really just like close your eyes and then, kind of awaken as the character. Um, and you have, you do those shows so many times. I know one year it was just three uh, three of us full-time with one other woman who came in part-time. And we did 300 performances in a year. Now that year <laughs> uh, took a toll on me uh, physically and emotionally, but it also uh, helped me to really fine-tune how do i how do I switch that light on and and then become fully present as that character with my acting partners? And luckily, that year, the the folks I was working with, we were so um, in tune with one another that no matter what happened, what kind of disturbances were happening around us, we could really stay dialed in. And the audiences were always wonderful. And it means we never got bored of the play because it was never the same twice because the audience was never the same twice. So I think that's kind of where I got that ability to quickly transform. Uh, But like I said, I think that that was some of the best training I got was how do you keep multiple scripts in your head, understand how to play different characters, and then maybe play multiple in a day you know i might be the bully in one play the victim of dating violence in the next and then run a role play workshop for parents in the evening and how do i transform through the day through all of that and uh, still have a sense of self at the end of the day
0: <laughs> how do you maintain that sense of self when when you are putting so much effort into assuming the character, the emotional life, the physicality of someone else, <laughs> you know, how, how do you not lose yourself at some point?
1: I, I often like do something physical to kind of shake off. Um, and we had just kind of internal practices of, you know, jokes and music and and different things to um, kind of click us back together as, as each other. Uh, and it, But it wasn't really the acting usually that was hard to move on from. Respect specifically works to, you know, um, prevent violence, to create communities with healthier relationships. So, so many of our plays, we would have post-show discussions, interactive role play, and then many times... Um, most times, depending on the play, we would have young people come up to us and tell their story and specifically working around teen dating violence that, you know, you have um, kind of a secondary trauma that you're experiencing because for many of these young people, we're the first people they've ever told because they see on the stage, they they connect themselves. And so you are a person they feel comfortable telling um, which is, was a beautiful piece of the work and we of course would always take in the story and then guide them to the mental health professional on site so they could get the needed care. But those were the days that were the hardest. We'd get back in the tour van and we you know just I'd just allow myself to cry for a minute to just kind of release all all that was happening and and we would talk about the effect uh, and the sadness we had around those things, but also the hope of, now they can get help. Now they're not alone. So that helped a lot. And then respect does a good job of doing training around how kind of secondary trauma can impact you, the ways that you can keep boundaries and 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 keep yourself healthy.
0: So I invited you to consider character, um, but also especially in the context of how I encountered you with respect, and I didn't give you an opportunity to uh, in a nutshell, describe what is respect and what um, you know. What, what does it actually do, and how how does it get that messaging out?
1: Yeah, so Respect was founded by Patri- Doctor Patricia Newman, who was a child and still is a child psychologist, and she um, kind of started small, but saw how theater really could and role play could help young people. She started really in schools. Uh, understand the dynamics of relationships and work on healthy relationships. So, respect tours through schools and workplaces and all kinds of places to talk about healthy relationships. Most of the programming is a short 30 minute play that demonstrates maybe some unhealthy behaviors and then a 30 minute talk back where, you know, it's designed to kind of highlight the the lessons within the play the the takeaways but then also time for the community we've shared with to process and then to get up and actually try solutions in a safe space uh, you know with one of our actors they can try out things and and we can test them a little bit uh in a safe way so that the next time they try this in the real world it's not the first time And so it was really a beautiful work, and I loved all the community connections that I got to make through that work.
0: And you were the training and education director there, and since then you've moved on, and we'll talk about anastasis. What is it that you did as training and education director, and and how did that shape your idea of what theater perhaps could be in a more sort of institutional sense?
1: Yeah, so I was in charge of a lot of our educational programming. So outside of the plays, we often did residencies and workshops. And so I would help plan, evaluate, and uh, lead much of that educational stuff or oversee those who were going to lead. And also led most of our our training that was role-play based alongside usually Patricia or another expert in whatever area we were targeting with the community group.
0: It seems to be potentially transformational part of your exposure to theater, which was encountering uh, the folks at Cornerstone, this theater company based in LA, California.
1: That definitely was uh, a turning point for me. I had... I don't know. I hadn't quite left respect yet, but I knew that I was aging out of playing mostly child and young adult characters, but I could have stayed on in my other role. And I I knew that, but I just, I had this feeling that I wanted to go deeper. Most of the work respect does is one day, maybe a week with the community. And I was really excited about, what if we went deeper? What if it was a longer term relationship? And so I had that in my mind. And through respect, I had worked inside some juvenile correctional facilities. And I really started to realize those were my favorite days of the year, that the work there really brought me to life and to a sense of flow that I I wasn't feeling anywhere else in my life. So I met uh, Michael Garces, he was at the Great Plains Theater Conference, and he spoke at a panel, and when he talked about the work he was doing, you know, a light just went off. And I thought, that is exactly what I want to do. So I ran up to the line of people who wanted to speak to him afterwards. I told him the work I was doing, and that I had just started working with a group at Nebraska State Penitentiary, but that this work was new to me, and he said, you should come train with us. And they do a fantastic job of of doing training for other theater professionals throughout the country. So Denise Chapman of the Union for Contemporary Art and I both flew out and did a, a short intensive training in their methods. We got to see one of their shows and it really helped me understand the best practices for doing truly community-engaged work with populations that don't have as much access to the arts.
0: So I think we're going to talk about some of that work. Let me be entirely reductive then and ask first about a really ignorant layman's view of acting. You know, you have to be someone else. You get some lines. You say the lines. You try to be that person. And and work with others on the stage, and and then that's the play. But you're talking about something much more involved. You're talking about methods. You're talking about different types of stories. You're talking about different types of collaborators. So what is it that's different about these methods or the intention behind the way the shows are crafted and performed that perhaps is is more robust than that?
1: Yeah, so in this form of theater making, you start by creating relationships with a community. Then you host story circles, where people start to share their personal stories. And you try not to get ahead of yourself and decide what that community wants to say. Because often, if you are not of that community, you will be wrong. (laughs) So staying open in the process is essential and asking yourself hard questions about, am I leading too much in one direction or another? So you really kind of, like, I love to just let the community guide every step of the process. So throughout those story circles and interviews, you start to sense what direction uh, a play might emerge from this community. There's different ways I've worked where we have a playwright in the room for all these sessions, and they take in all the stories and then create something inspired by what they've heard, but not documentary or exactly from them. Some groups like the men I worked with at Nebraska State Penitentiary really wanted to write for themselves. So in that instance, the playwright almost does uh, writing classes, giving them prompts, helping them to develop an outline, and then taking the work that they create to create a collage piece. You can also, I know Cornerstone does this quite a bit, take a classic work that has themes that are relevant to the community and maybe twist it somehow or insert pieces that are of, of the modern context and produce a play that is resonant for that community. Another piece of this work is actually using those community members who are not professional actors to take on these roles usually with a mix of professional actors. And so the goal may not be to have a perfect production that is, you know, has super high quality technical feats, lighting and moving sets and all those things. The focus really is more on the story, on what the community wants to share with the world and giving new voices an opportunity to tell their story, to share their lived experience.
0: At the beginning you were describing how some of your family context perhaps steered you in certain political and philosophical ways around how you see the world when it's working well and perhaps when social injustice seems to be uh, more present. And you've just been describing what feels like this really powerful inflection point for you, where perhaps some of those innate ways that you see the world being better coincide with this different way of theatre making. And is this, is this? did you come back from sort of cornerstone and did, was this lighting a fire for you to oh, do absolutely. something different with theatre?
1: Yeah, it absolutely, I, I didn't know yet that I was going to found a theatre company. I thought, you know... I had this idea for this one project at Nebraska State Penitentiary, but I I didn't have a playwright, and I'm not a playwright. And so, I heard kind of through the grapevine that Colleen O'Doherty, who was just finishing her masters in screen and playwriting, was looking to create a piece with people impacted by housing insecurity. And I thought, hmm. And again, it was the it was the Great Plains Theater Conference. I saw her across the room. And a voice in my head just said, you you need to talk to her. <laughs> it was just like clear as day. And so I, I said, hey, you know, we knew each other a little bit from just as a small community. And I said, I hear you're working on this. I'm working on this other thing that I think is in the same realm. Let's meet for coffee. And so we sat down and, and she said, well, I'm trying to work on this piece, but I've hit a roadblock because... I don't know how to meet people who have been impacted and get them to open up. And since I had just been at Cornerstone, where that's a huge part of the, the method that I was learning, these story circles and community uh, gatherings, I was like, well, I know how to do that. I can help you with that for your project. Would you be interested in helping me create a play with these men At Nebraska State Penitentiary and so we teamed up and we had an immediate connection and within I think a couple weeks of doing work in those locations we just looked at each other and said this has to be a theater company Uh, and I went home that night and I told my husband I think I just found a theater he kind of laughed and said okay luckily he was he's been supportive throughout everything and and really Colleen and I did not know each other well but we just had a sense that this was a kind of theater that needed to be made here. We made a kind of a pilgrimage to the Twin Cities and checked out a bunch of different theaters doing work that was similar, you know, 10,000 things that does um, professional productions, but they tour into shelters and correctional facilities in different places. So we went and saw a show there. We met with people at Mixed Blood Theater. That's a really socially engaged Theatre Company, we just kind of made stops all around the city where people were doing theatre that was really trying to connect with communities that don't normally have access to the arts. So we came back and uh, luckily Great Plains Theatre Conference partnered with us to get our first play, Stories on the Brink, which was about housing insecurity off the ground.
0: Anastasis? So, name? where does this
1: come from? Mm-hmm. Uh, we spent days writing down ideas for names. Nothing was hitting. And then one day, I was reading a meditation um, by a Jesuit priest, and he talked about this word. Um, and it, it's a Greek word that means to rise up. Now, I think the pr- correct pronunciation is actually. Um, now, I'm not even going to remember it because I have our pronunciation <laughs> in my head, but the pronunciation in Greek is slightly different. But that is where the inspiration came from. Uh, I called Colleen. I said, this word is to rise up. What do you think? And she said, sounds like a winner. <laughs> so that's where it came from.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's a different sort of launching point, as it were, to have started and to continue to be an actor. But now you've founded a theater company. I, I imagine the responsibilities and the roles of being a theater company principal or manager are quite different. What what are some of the things that this now demands of you?
1: It, it was a steep learning curve. Uh, I had to learn how to raise money to pay all these artists to do this work. So luckily, I have an amazing board that, you know, people from all walks of life, but I have a couple specifically who really work in development and nonprofits, and they really help me to learn how to do grant writing and fundraising. And so that's been a big piece of what I had to learn how to do. And then just managing people, uh, thinking t- towards the future, to really planning and executing And I had done some directing, but it wasn't, I I didn't have a dream for directing until we were in these processes. I, I had thought we would hire a different director than me and that I would just do the community relationships building. But once we started to create with these people, I suddenly had a strong urge where the stories were so important to me and I had such a clear vision for how the play could be presented that I, I just jumped in. And I absolutely love directing in this style. And we are a really bare bones style because we don't have a theater. We rely on our partners uh, to provide a space for rehearsal, and then we tour. So most of our plays, I think we've had like the last play more than a number. We had nine chairs on the stage and one table so the focus really is on the stories and so it it's that kind of theater making where you really focus in on the actors and the stories that i think is my style and where where i excel as a director
0: a driving ethos for anastasia's theater company is a belief that art can create social change have a positive Absolutely, and it also creates an opportunity to give creative expression to marginalized, for marginalized voices. Yes. So, with that ethos, you've you've mentioned one of the performances that the theatre company has has produced and and toured, which is more than a number. And I wonder if you could perhaps just talk a little bit about um, the creation of that. And then the the actual, you know, the the logistics, the presentation of that, all of the things that were required to create and express that as an illustration of this ethos of the company.
1: Absolutely, so for me, more than a number is the most important piece of art that I've worked on in my career. And really, I've been working on it five years. (laughs) Um, We finally, I think, retired it, but you never know. It's such a great play, it might come back. So it started with these story circles with men at the Nebraska State Penitentiary. And our group includes people who are there maybe just for you know, a couple years, all the way up to people serving life sentences. And it was created within a group that already existed called the Seventh Step Club. And they're a self-betterment organization that was founded to reduce and eliminate recidivism. So the older guys, the more experienced guys on campus really want to bring in folks who are going back out into the community, do character development, talk about how they can be good citizens inside while they're inside and out, so that once those folks get out, even if those individuals who do the teaching never get out, they feel that they, they do have an impact on the outside world if they can help other men succeed and stay out and live productive lives. So I stepped into an amazing group of, of individuals. Some of them were already writers and they were so game and so focused. So then we did the writing and COVID hit and we had to kind of do by mail and it was really challenging. But then we got back inside, we finished up the writing. Colleen did a, an amazing job of creating this collage play that included really stories from all of the participants in some way. And it started with you know vignettes around their childhood experiences into kind of the inciting incident of their incarceration the early days of incarceration and how um, difficult and disorienting that can be into their personal transformation. And they really wanted to end with hope for the future. So that's kind of the arc of the play. So then we luckily had the support of administration there to rehearse the play over about three months. And I had 15 cast members and we just figured out how to make the play work. We ended up adding musical elements. There were a couple musicians, um, one who was a professional musician when he was outside, and so they added a score to our play, but one of the reasons it stayed so simple with just chairs and a table is we really didn't have access to anything else. But in a way, I was hoping for props at one point, But throughout the rehearsal process, we didn't get them and we didn't get them. So the guys began to pantomime and it became such a beautiful piece of the storytelling that I said, when they finally brought in the few things we had asked for, I said, never mind, we don't need it. They're telling the story fully without any extra anything. And then we were able to perform the play inside two times for fellow residents, people who volunteer in the system and staff. It was a really transformational experience for our cast. They became even closer, new relationships were built. They felt such uh, a sense of pride in telling their stories and the stories of the community that they represent. The other folks who who came to see the show the other residents also had a, a really emotional reaction to the play you know they said well, i'm some of them had never seen a play there hadn't been a play at nebraska state penitentiary in more than 30 years and others just said i can't believe my story is on the stage that that the truth of what this life is 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 being said out loud and So that was a really wonderful experience. Unfortunately, four of our cast members were unable to perform because there was a lockdown in their unit. But the amazing 11 others with one rehearsal figured out how to fill in those roles and still perform brilliantly. Uh, And I continue to visit this group twice a month just as a volunteer, and we're hoping to start Uh, They really want to start a, a theater, ongoing theater classes, so that they continue to learn new skills and create new work for the future. From the beginning, though, the guys really had a vision that it was the most important that this play get outside, that their stories be told to the rest of the Nebraska community. So that was was a a big thing to tackle. And a lot of people told me this cannot be done because I insisted that the majority of our cast be people who had lived experience within the correctional system. And I said, we're gonna pay everyone. <laughs> and there were a lot of roadblocks, but we raised the money and then we were able to tour this beautiful play with, with a, a mixed cast of professional actors and uh, system impacted people to multiple community sites in Omaha and Lincoln. After every play, we have you know a dialogue between the audience and our cast, really focusing in on the voices of people most affected by the system. And we try to get in our audiences community leaders, politicians, folks from the legislature, people who work in corrections and in policing, because that's where real transformation can happen when they see these stories and how the men got there, it transforms how they think about those individuals. We've gotten that feedback from people. We got emails and little cards written to us because um, we have little comment cards that everybody can can give us after the performance. And so many of those folks said, I will never go back to doing my job the same way again. So that is amazing but also the transformation for our systems impacted individuals who did the tour has been so beautiful to watch we do pre surveys where we ask questions about how connected they feel to the community do they see themselves as a leader you know where do they you know where do they see their communication skills and so many of them, we had one individual who went from, I've, out of one to 10, I feel like a two connected to my community. By the end of the tour, he felt like a 10. Um, and I continue to hire them to do different community outreach activities. We had one individual who had originally been sentenced to 130 years. And he was in the cast. And he talked about how until he did those community dialogues after the play and saw audiences that actually cared about their stories and held respect for them as a fellow community member, it transformed how he experienced the outside world. Because he was walking around, he had been out one year, and anytime he was in public, he had the feeling that others knew who he was and where he had been and that they were judging him and that he wouldn't have the opportunities that he wanted to have and just seeing the community come out so strongly with this play he was like I can be in public and feel good so those things keep us going uh when when we're in the more challenging phases of fundraising or finding a way to make difficult situations work within a production process. So yeah, it's been a a beautiful journey for me.
0: I love how you've managed to recognize in our conversation that yes, there's the practical components to all of this performing and running a theater company, but all in service of this word that you've used often, transformation. I'm curious how has all of this transformed you
1: oh it's been i can't overstate the impact i tell the the group at nebraska state penitentiary all the time you guys changed my life you inspired this theater company you know we just won um, the nebraska state arts award for access to the arts and i went in immediately told them and i said we won you are part of the Anastasis family, and you are part of why we got this award. So I really wanted them to share in it. Seeing their resilience, their ability to find joy and purpose really helps me as a human to focus in on what is important? What is my purpose? How do I serve others? And yeah, it's, it's been such a, a beautiful journey of exploring what other people's experiences are, helping them find their voice, giving them a platform. It really is a calling for me, and, I, um, and I'm so grateful for each of the individuals that I get to work with. It's such an honor.
0: My guest today has been Hayley Haas, co-founder of Anastasis Theatre Company. Hayley, thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Lives is brought to you on KIOS Omaha Public Radio and is produced by Courtney Bierman. The music you hear playing in and playing out is performed by Andrew Bailey. Podcasts of today's show and others can be found at livesradioshow.com or where you get your podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave a review. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week as we delve further into the practical and profound possibilities of living well. Thanks for listening.